This podcast is made possible by Workiva and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Jack Walsh, CFO of Appian, and you are listening to CFO Thought Leader. This is episode 389. Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. I'm Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Terry McGevilly, CFO of RiskConnect, a provider of integrated risk management solutions. Terry has spent more than 20 years of her career inside the technology sector, and she's been actively involved in 15 different acquisitions. We speak to Terry about those transactions and much more after these words from our sponsor. Workiva transforms the way people work through connected reporting and compliance. The facts are, a majority of senior accounting and finance professionals say their financial reporting involves a huge amount of manual work and is inherently error-prone, leading to risk. Risk that's intensified by new business complexities and the changing business climate. Link data elements, numbers, narrative, and calculations together everywhere you use them. When you change data at the source, it's changed at the destination. Gaining trust in your data and processes is that simple. Join over 3,500 customers who enjoy the benefits of using Workiva by connecting their organizations from record to report. Visit workiva.com slash CFO. Industries, 
was a consumer electronics catalog company. And had they been smart and knew what they needed, they never would have hired me. And had I been smart and knew what I was capable of, I never would have taken the job. So I, I came in there and really set up their whole accounting department. They didn't have, they had a woman who was keeping basically the checkbook. So my first six months at back, uh, I came in every day with my accounting books under my arm and, and tried to figure it out. And I was really fortunate there because as that company grew and expanded, I was able to not only build an accounting function, but an FP&A function, supply chain function. We ended up um, opening an office in Japan. And I was very, very fortunate that our first um, outside auditors that came in, the partner of that audit firm, was a great mentor to me and really helped me um, develop in my career. So that was a really interesting time for me because without that, I don't know that I would have had the type of exposure to be in the career I'm in today. So very appreciative of that first first job out of school because I was allowed to make some mistakes along the way and uh, really learn my craft. Sorry, you have worked for a lot of interesting companies, some that are uh, fairly well-known among finance executives because they're technology companies such as Sage. Can, can you tell us what was the opportunity perhaps that brought you there? Well, it was interesting. I was with Peachtree Software, which at the time was owned by ADP. And ADP had only purchased Peachtree to um, migrate the Peachtree payroll customers to ADP customers. And while they never really figured out that secret sauce, they decided to spin off the company. And we were actually going down the IPO route and had filed an S1 when, um, when Sage came in and paid the full offering price. So we were one of the very first acquisitions that Sage did in North America. And I um, stayed on with Sage and became the CFO of the Small Business Division there. Um, initially, that was my role. And over the course of 10, 12 years, we did about 13 different acquisitions with Sage. So um, Sage North America grew quite quickly and, and exponentially, both organically and through acquisition. And so I had, I had a myriad of, of roles, but that was a, another great um, career launch for me because we were it was a global parent. We, we traded on the FTSE, so I, I got to have GAP and IFRS experience there. I also led a very large um, system implementation with all of these acquisitions. We um, acquired many, many legacy systems. And so it was my job to um, consolidate all of those systems under one. And so we retired 27 legacy systems across 3,000 employees. And was it uh, your involvement in these strategic transactions that maybe allowed uh, your career to transform in a sense? Because uh, when I look at it, I, I think the first part of your career, perhaps you were this controller. That wasn't necessarily uh, perhaps a strategic uh, finance executive. However, then you get involved in, in these transactions. That, that transition, you know, what's interesting is, as I mentioned, the, kind of my early mentors, one of the things that um, I learned very quickly is that 
you know, controllers tend to look at the, you know, did I get the books closed? You know, were the numbers accurate? Versus missing the opportunity that really nothing can happen in the company without it flowing through the books. So I really took that opportunity to sit down with different functional leaders and really learn kind of the drivers behind their decisions and really stepped outside of what would be considered a traditional control role and really where could I add value um, to the functional leaders and, and how could I learn more around how the business really operates and what are the main drivers. So I, I took the, my role as controller as not being confining, but quite the opposite is really being a, a catapult to learn the entire business. Um, which was very exciting for me and really was, is how I expanded into FP&A roles and ended up taking on HR, legal, supply chain, um, and business systems along the way as well. Now, you did invest, and I think it's important to, to mention, uh, you were at uh, five years at Sage. You, were at, uh, you, you next moved to Bonnet, where you were there perhaps six years, and I mention this because uh, that's not a small investment of important career-building years, and in fact, we do see uh, many finance executives jump in two to three-year uh, stints, and I, I don't have any hard numbers to support this, but I think you have a pattern of making an investment uh, with companies once you uh, join I, I didn't think of it as, as really um, one singular job or one singular company, even though the ownership may not have changed. Because I, I, my roles kept evolving as such that, um, and the opportunities kept expanding and changing for me. That there was there was always something new and something interesting. So, like with Stage, for example, I started off as the CFO of the small business division was able to work through multiple acquisitions, and not only on the, the deal side of it, but also the assimilation of those acquisitions into the fold. And then when I took on the role of uh, Vice President of Business Services and really led a large-scale implementation, it really forced me to look through the lens of a much more operational um, leader and look through kind of the end-to-end processes. So to me, those, while under the same umbrella and in the same company, I saw that I saw what I did very differently. Um, so I didn't. It wasn't routine and wasn't the same thing all the time. And then um, with Vonage, I came to Vonage via Velocity. I was really fortunate. I was about to take a, a CFO role at a startup company, and Pat Clark, who was the CFO of Velocity at the time, said asked me if I'd come in in four weeks and help him put together um, a budget and, and some um, board work. And so I said, okay, I'll do that, but it can only stay four weeks because i got this other opportunity that I'm going to take. And when I got to Vocalocity and got to meet the team, Wayne Callum, who was the CEO at the time, who was a very large investor in um, many software technology companies here in Atlanta, and working with Pat Clark and, and many others there, I realized that this is a great opportunity for me. And even though it wasn't the CFO role, it was an opportunity that I, I would like to stay with. So I ended up becoming the vice president of finance for Velocity. And within two years, we were acquired by Bonnet. 
and even with Vonage, you know, my role shaped and changed as we did acquisitions. Um, there, I became vice president of business profitability and, and took over all of supply chain. So I never felt like any of my roles were routine in that I, um, I just stayed in the same job for, for 10, 12 years. It really was, uh, as the companies evolved, so did my roles. I, I looked at it kind of each one of these opportunities was a new and different experience for me. Okay, interesting, which makes me want to ask this question. So when you do step in uh, to the your current role, what is the CFO role you want to create for yourself, knowing that you're this person who always looked at not necessarily titles but opportunities? Well, you know, in coming to Risk Connect, what I really want to do is create, you know, Risk Connect is really a, at a place of, of, of high growth potential. And so, you know, one of the key things for me to create here is, is setting up the operations that we can scale and we can grow. And so and what I would want to create is the environment where the finance, myself, and my team are looked at as, as really trusted partners for the rest of the business versus sort of an adversary evil. You know, I always want um, finance to be the first call a functional leader makes and not the last call. So, you know, really, really engaging with the team here in making it much more proactive um, engagement with the finance team as well as the other functional leaders. So that was really what's most critical for me is that I put us in, in a position that we could really scale and grow as we consider growing both organically and through acquisition. Was there, just in regards to the team, that you're putting in place there. Uh, can you tell us something about was there certain skill sets you wanted to add or perhaps they were already there? But uh, tell us a little bit about the team you're hoping to formulate and lead. Um, really, you know, I was pretty fortunate. I ha- I've had to add some skill sets here. I've added, um, I've strengthened the FTA um, positions here as well as um, in the legal side of the house. We, we needed to add some skill set gaps there. But for me, uh, really, I was very, very fortunate that Risk Connect had a group of, of people who were really hungry and eager to learn um, and, and smart. And they just needed somebody to kind of help point them in the right direction. So, um, and that's exciting to me that, that when you're able to really take your in house talent and, and help develop them. Um, that's a critical part of what I think our roles are. And uh, so I was excited that I had that opportunity here and didn't have to kind of reorganize the whole department and start from scratch. There's some really talented people already in place here. Well, let's find out about RiskConnect's offerings and what's the competitive marketplace like out there for these types of offers? You know, really the, the risk industry and in the technology industry, it's, it's really a, a interesting landscape now because managing risk has never really been more important. You know, companies' reputation, regulatory compliance, exposure to the business model disruption, these are things that are all at stake. And when you look at it today, there's still a very fragmented market. Um, you have point solution providers, um, that, that, but there's not really this full 
integrated risk management um, technology. And that's what RiskConnect is providing so that companies can really look across their entire spectrum of risk and have tools to help them manage it and, and understand what those things are. So when we think about some of the headline news, you know, Equifax was really a vendor risk of management issue and had they had the tools in place to know that they hadn't gotten an update from one of their third-party platform providers, you know, they, a lot of that could have been mitigated. So when you think about things as, as like that, it's, it's a really exciting time to be in the risk space. And our competitive landscape is still a very fragmented one. So um, what's exciting to me is, is this look of, of really becoming a risk platform and bringing in all of these different aspects and integrating them all. So can you tell us something about those uh, key metrics that uh, you rely on to understand how the company's performing? What would they be uh, at this uh, stage of growth or risk connect, I wonder? Well, we look at kind of your traditional SaaS metrics because we are a SaaS company. So we look at retention, new bookings, contribution margins, gross margins, by product, et cetera. So really right now one of our key focuses is around the measures for our customer success. So we look at net promoter scores, but the other thing we do is we're very proactive in looking at our customers' utilization of our tools. Our, our products offer a lot of functionality that we may have been chosen to fill a particular need within our customers' um, gap and automation of the process, but they may not be aware of, of some of the other things they can do that are already in the software that they purchase. So we really spend a lot of time making sure that our customers are getting the most um, value out of what they bought with RiskConnect, and they may not have always seen the full picture of what, what it is integrating risk management. So we really look at um, how how the customers are utilizing the software, and we'll be very proactive with our customers in helping them learn other aspects of the system. I'm curious, how do you get that visibility into customer usage? Is that is that something you as a finance leader had to uh, sort of express interest in to have that revealed to you? or uh, And I imagine there's, there might be something that, that's shared across the organization or maybe not. We did, and, and just in the last um, probably six months, we've um, developed sort of dashboarding that looks at we can we can track you know what functions and features are being utilized within the the system. And again, this is you know this is one of the many metrics that are sort of new in the SaaS world, right? Because you're on you're, you have a shared instance, so you can really look across what features and functions are, are being most utilized. And so we, we really can give our clients a much better in-depth view as to, to opportunities that they have that for an investment they've already made. And at the same time, these types of uh, non-financial metrics really have allowed finance to sort of broaden its role and um, influence other parts of the organization. And, and I guess uh, at times it's sort of you can 
bring, uh, of course, the water, but you can't necessarily make the drink. Agreed, and the clients have to, to want to expand their use of the tool, right? But, but at least you can create that environment for them to, uh, to be able to do even more and, and maximize the value out of the investment they've already made. So, and, and what that correlates into is higher retention rates, right? Because not only do we give them the tools and, and, and some features and functions they may not have realized they purchased, but we also help them think about managing their risk in a different way, maybe, um, or taught them some best practice and what other um, companies are doing that are in their same type of industry, et cetera. So we always like to ask for a finance strategic moment, which you may have experienced during the course of your career, and uh, this is where your unique lines of sight into the organization allowed you to identify a risk or perhaps an opportunity, whatever uh, might come to mind. What would you share with us? Yeah, you know, it's funny. When I was um, at Pace, I mentioned we we took on, um, I led the, the large-scale implementation of a, kind of a singular system across North America. And we had done a lot of work in, in preparation for that and went out and spoke with all the teams and looked across all the legacy systems and felt like we were really prepared and knew what we were getting into. And it, what I learned very quickly at this stage, again, for a lot of these acquisitions that, uh, that we did throughout the, the years, some were small, some were a little bit larger, but you know, just kind of a plethora of different uh, legacy systems. But what I learned was that you also had these sort of one-off IT issues. So you have functional groups where we, where the company may not have supplied them the tools they needed. They created their own. So it could be through access databases or, or whatever tool they chose, but these were one-off systems. And so it ended up we were, we were really converting a lot more than 27 legacy systems because you might have different sales or marketing groups that had created their own many databases just in order for them to do their jobs. And I think what the biggest lesson learned out of that was no matter what size your company is, you've got to find a way to invest in the infrastructure and the tools to enable people to do their jobs because they'll create it themselves. And then you have these sort of offshoots of uh, IT departments, um, kind of rogue IT departments is the way I like to think about it. And it's really because the company hasn't been thoughtful enough on what are the tools that all the functional groups may need. And that can vary in, in different investment levels, but I find if you if you don't allow for that investment, you'll have folks try to create it on their own. Interesting. And this is often when you know employees have the best intentions. However, uh, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna move into the, the mentoring round, where I get to ask you several quick questions intended to inspire future finance leaders. But first. We must share a few words from our sponsor. We'll be right back. You want smart, 
clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. Terry, we now enter the mentoring round. What's one thing that's exciting you about finance and business today? You know, I'll tell you what's exciting to me today is the same thing that excited me, you know, when I really started was that there really isn't anything that can happen. The company can't make a decision without it running through finance in some form or fashion. So, um, you know, I, I really try to tell anybody who works for me on the finance side that we have a, an opportunity that not every functional group has to be exposed to the entire organization and that they should really take that opportunity to learn um, and, and do deep dives. And, and so that, to me, is the most exciting thing that, um, you know, and, and the technology is moving fast, so you have to say um, quick today, but, but to me, just really the opportunity as finance leaders to really learn the entire business. You've been a finance leader for years, but now that you're the CFO of this company and you stepped into this role, is there a piece of advice you would have wish someone had told you at the start of this latest uh, chapter? Um, you know, I really think just in, in general, I think for my whole career, you know, I think when you first start out, you're, you don't want to be wrong or you don't want to um, you know, say you don't know. And, you know, I've learned very early on in my career, right, that, it, that it's okay not to know. It's okay to go figure it out um, and, and ask and, and to raise your hand. You know, it's, it's quite the opposite. It's not a sign of weakness. It's Find strength because you recognize where you might need help, and I think that as you're starting out your career, that's something you tend to be a little bit to ask for. And so uh, that would be my advice: is, is ask and raise your hand. Is there a personal habit that you believe has contributed to your professional success? You know, I really, um, whether it's annually or biannually, I really try to stop and take stock and say. You know, what value has my team contributed? And are we, you know, have we spent our last, you know, six months effectively and moving towards the strategic goals of the company? And I really kind of create a little mini P&L for my functional group. And I really think that, um, you know, I'm always assessing myself and the team on whether or not we would actually create a value for the company. And I think that that's, helpful for me to make sure that I've made sure that we're aligning the work appropriately, um, but also where that, you know, that I can uh, feel like I'm a contributing member to the team. Is there a book you'd recommend to aspiring finance leaders? You know, one of the, my favorite books is Good to Great, Jim Collins' Good to Great. And one of the reasons why I like that book so much is that it really 
it talks about creating the environment in which you're, you're letting your people grow and how to, how to bring them along. So I, I think it's a really important book. Um, I'm, I'm always aspiring <laughs> um, to, to follow Jim Collins' words, but it's something every few years I go back and reread it. It's, 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 that's such an excellent book. Our final question. Over the next 12 months, what are your priorities as a finance leader? Really, it's, it's to make sure that we've laid the foundation from an infrastructure standpoint that we can have Thank you for listening, and don't forget, Thought Leader listeners, you can now go premium at cfothoughtleader.com.